I love uh, New Year's. I, I don't know if you love New Year's. I know some people kind of have a mixed relationship with the beginning of a new year, uh, but, uh, but I love the, the new year. Anytime it kind of changes hands and it's 2023 and it's the first day of the new year, the first week of the new year, I, I love it. There's a mood of progress that's just kind of around, whether that's in advertising or it's uh, in the news or, or just kind of what we feel. There's something about it, even if you are someone that's a little more cynical, there's something about it that we sense that there is progress, that there is hope, that there is potential, that there's something that can happen. Uh, we sense new beginnings. And so some of you make resolutions, some of you make goals, some of you have projects or plans that you say, all right, this is the year that I'm going to finally finish that uh, thing outside, or this is the year that I'm going to get in shape, or this is the year that I'm going to stop caring about being in shape, and I'm going to eat whatever I want, or this is the year, whatever it is, right? We, there's kind of this sense and mood of possibility. And so I love that because no matter how cynical that you are, and I've had years where I'm kind of more cynical. It's just like, who cares? Just another year, just another, the clock went like that, and then the end. Who, what, is that, what does that make any difference? Some of us maybe are more cynical, but the reality is it taps into this thing inside of us and around us, this truth, which is more is possible. More is possible. Better is possible. And we intuitively know that, even if you're someone that's a little on the more cynical side or it's just another year, we know it doesn't have to always be this way, that there are ways that things can get better. There are ways that we can experience change and improvement and depth. And so I love the beginning of a new year because that's kind of what is in the air. And this series is called Build, and pointing at the fact that each of us is building a life. Each of us, day by day, year by year, even minute by minute, we are building a life. The little things that we do today is what our life will look like five years from now. The little thing, you, you don't wake up five years from now and say, how did I get here? How'd this happen? It is the little things that we do today. It's like many of you, uh, if you are parents, you probably bought Legos for your kids or your kids received Legos, and the Lego set doesn't just automatically turn into the Star Wars ship or into the treehouse or into whatever it is. It, it's little by little, piece by piece, and there's a lot of pieces, and they end up all over the place, but piece by piece, it, you are building something, and that is true in your life, and I love New Year's because it says we can build. We can build in your marriage, in your faith, in your family, in your finances, in your health, in your emotional well-being, in so many different areas. You can build, and more and better is possible. And so we come to this series ready to explore what it is that we can build. Because here's what's also true. You can build a life, whether you know it or not, we are all building, you can build a life thoughtlessly. It just kind of is happening. And you do look five years later and go, how'd I get here? Well, you were building something. It was just unintentional. It was just thoughtless. You can build thoughtlessly. You can build in the wrong way with the wrong vision. You can build in a way that is going the wrong direction. You can build without, you can build something in your life that's weak, 
you can build something in your life that's frail and doesn't stand the test of time. You are building. You are making inputs every day. And it can be something that's beautiful and it can be something that's strong or you can be building a bad foundation. You can be building something that is not going to endure. But what if we have God's vision? What if we're building the right way? What if we're not just kind of hodgepodging everything together and, or just unintentionally doing different activities in our life that lead us somewhere, but we have God's vision? What God says, I want to build this in your life. What if we have that? What if we have God's blueprint or God's design or God's idea for our life? What if we have his vision and build intentionally this year towards that? God does have a vision for our life and wants us to build towards it. He gives us something to aim for. This book that we're looking at, the book of Ephesians, it is, uh, it's a great letter. Most of you have probably read it because it's, it's not all that long. It's, it's, a, it's a very famous letter in the Bible. It has been called the Matt Paul's masterpiece. Many people, uh, theologians and scholars and commentators, will call it call Paul's masterpiece. Some have called it the queen of the epistles to just say how much it is amazing. Others have said that the whole of what you need to know about the Christian life is in this letter. Uh, John Calvin, the famous uh, Protestant reformer, said it was his favorite of all the epistles. A noted author and counselor, David Powelson, we have, uh, I recommend often his, his books. He has said that if you were to counsel, you can use Ephesians to counsel really any situation. That it is kind of a, a manual for what counseling looks like. It is very, very deep theologically and very, very practical in our lives. It, it includes really everything. And so when we talk about building, this is such a great letter to start in, that if you want to build God's vision for your life, and I, and I hope you do, I want that for you, I want that for our church, if you want to build God's vision for your life, this is a great letter to see, okay, God, what is it? Help me see what your vision is. Help me to build what you want. It gives us his vision and it gives us the tools to be able to build towards that. It gives us the direction and it gives us the actions and the plans to be able to build towards that. It will help you have a joyful faith. It will help you have deep relationships and it will help you have meaningful mission in your life. It will help you in so many ways. And so today we really just begin laying the foundation, asking this question, what is God's vision for our life? What is it that we're trying to build towards? What is God's vision? Sarah, can I grab that water? Thank you. It's my great wife that provides me water. <clears throat> All right, so let's start with this question. What is God's vision for your life? Now, this is simple, but let's just look at the beginning, opening part of this letter. It says, Paul, that's the author, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will to the faithful saints in Christ Jesus at Ephesus. That's the city that this is written to. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. This simple word, blessed, 
is what God's vision is for your life. What God desires is to bless you. Now, this is an overused word, right? If we wanted to make a list just for fun or to make fun of Christians of the most Christian-y sounding words, probably bless or blessed would make the list, right? And it's an overused word such that often we don't even know what it means. I think it's really funny if you go to a coffee shop or a restaurant and people don't talk to each other a lot of times, right? People are very, you know, maybe you even got your headphones in. You can be sitting right across from someone, right next to someone and not say a word to them. And some of you may be like, you're mean. Well, all the introverts know what I'm talking about. Okay, so you can sit right next to someone and not even say a word. But then somebody sneezes. All of a sudden, people will bless you. It's like, what? Why is it that because I'm excreting bodily fluids, you feel the permission to talk to me? That doesn't make sense to me. I've always found that really funny, that all of a sudden, bless you, bless you, all across the coffee shop, bless you, bless you. Like, wow, I feel so blessed. We might pray for our food. God, bless this food to our bodies. You may pray for a friend or for yourself. God, bless this new job or bless this activity that they're going to do. And we use the word bless. If you're from the South, you say bless your heart, which really means I hope you die. But there's all sorts of ways that we use the word bless, right? And it's a very Christian-y sounding word. Often we really don't know what it means. But here's, I, I could do a whole sermon just on blessing or bless and what that means. But essentially it means this. It means happiness. It mean, we, are, we are hoping and wishing that there is a, and I mean happiness in a holistic way, but it's you are asking and hoping for this holistic happiness. That's essentially what it is. And any of the different goals that you have, any of the different projects that you have, any of the different resolutions that you have in all the different areas of your life, essentially, this is what you're hoping for, is blessing that your health would be blessed, that your marriage would be blessed, that your faith would be blessed. You're hoping for blessing. It is what we are all looking for. But here's the key problem that was true then and is true now. This is the key problem. As we think about God's vision and as we want to experience blessing, there are competing visions of what blessed means. There's competing visions of what happiness is, right? Not everybody has the same idea. If you say, what is the blessed life, or what is the happy life, or what will really bring fulfillment, contentment, joy, satisfaction, what will that look like? We have competing and different visions of what that is. This letter was written to a city called Ephesus, which was a major metropolitan city of its day. It was a, a, a center of trade that a lot of stuff came in and out of. It was a center. I know this is kind of weird to think about today, but it was a center for magic. There was all sorts of kind of magical powers that were, it was famed for in Ephesus. It was kind of the, the Harry Potter of the uh, uh, Hogwarts of the ancient world. It was famed for its magic. There was 50 different temples to different gods. It was a religious center, very polytheistic with lots and lots of worship. It had one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the temple to Artemis. So it was this place that was very uh, cosmopolitan. It was a place that had all sorts of trade. It was a place of magic and power and different religions, such that even when Paul initially went to Ephesus, and he went and preached there and brought them the good news of God's blessing and what Jesus wants to do in their life, a riot broke out with thousands of people shouting against him that Artemis is great and you and your God are not because he was countering the visions 
that they had for the blessed life and the good life. And people rioted against him because of his vision being very different to what this city's vision was. Paul spent a long time there, longer than he spent in most places. He spent about three years there, starting churches, ministering, helping build up the church. And now he's been gone for a long time. He's actually writing this letter from prison in Rome. And he's writing this letter to the people. And it's been several years since he's been there. And people are beginning to drift. People are beginning to maybe buy in to some of the competing visions in a culture that is hostile to Christianity, where Christianity is just one of many of the competing visions and not the best-sounding vision of the blessed and the good life. So Paul writes about God's vision of blessing, but the problem then, as is today, is that there's a lot of competing visions for that. It's not just God wants to bless you, and okay, great, well, but this place offers blessing, and this idea offers blessing, and this source offers blessing and happiness. What, what is the blessing? Paul writes in such a way to say that God has a vision to bless, to build your life, but we can miss it. If you're not a Christian, you can miss God's vision to bless your life. If you are a Christian, like many of the people that Paul was writing to, we can drift away, even if we've heard about God's vision, and start to buy into the competing visions that exist. God's vision is to bless your life. But let's explore this. What blessings does God give then? What, is these, what are these blessings? Paul says that God gives every spiritual blessing. What are these blessings that he wants to bring? What is God's vision? What are the, really in a lot of ways, there's kind of four foundations of the vision for the blessing that God wants to bring into your life. And so Paul walks us through, as he says, God gives you every spiritual blessing. He walks us through what these are. And so we're going to look at these four blessings. Commercial break for a second. Sponsored by King Super's Hot Water. <clears throat> All right, here's the first one. He says, for he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one, that's Jesus. So here, here's the first, Paul says, God has a vision to bless your life, and he says he wants to bring every spiritual blessing into your life, and now he begins talking about what these blessings are. The first one is this, that he chose us, or he predestined us to be adopted. So this is sometimes called election, that God chose us, he elected us, or adoption, that he elected and chose us to be adopted, to be brought in to his family. Now, these words about God choosing us or him predestining us, there's a lot of debates about these words throughout uh, many of the last several hundred years of, does God choose us? Do we choose God? And there's a lot of different kind of arguments that are around that. And that's a big conversation that we could have. But all, all I'll say is this. It plainly says, he chose us. He predestined us. It says that right there. Those aren't made up words. And sometimes we say, well, that doesn't really seem fair that God would choose these people and not choose these people. And how does that work? And, and the Bible leaves a lot of mystery there. It doesn't explain all the things that we want the answers to. It doesn't give us all the reasons and all the ins and outs and, and dive deep into the mind of God and everything that's happening. And 
But it does tell us he chose us. He predestined us. Before, sometimes people say, well, maybe God chose us because God looked at my life. He knew how great I was going to be. And so he said, wow, I really want you to be in my family. But again, that's not what it says. It says he did this with his grace. He did this before the foundation of the world. Before you did anything good, before you did anything bad, God chose us. He chose us. He predestined us. And what I love about this is it's not just rescue. A lot of times when we think about God and what he does in our life, we think about the word salvation, which is true. It's rescue. But that's kind of like what a superhero does, right? They will rescue the victim. They will save somebody, Batman, Superman, uh, Spider-Man, whoever. They, they will save those that are the victims, right? They will, be, they will be the savior. But this is different than just salvation. It's adoption. Batman never saves somebody and says, and now you're my child. Batman hates people, right? So he, he saves people from the bad guy, but he doesn't say, and now you are Bat's son, right? He doesn't do that. But God chooses and predestines us to be adopted into his family. He predestines us to be adopted as sons, to be welcomed in to his family to be for himself. This is relational language. It isn't just saying God saves you from Satan and sin and hell and death. That's true, but it's better than that. It's saying God wants you for himself. He actually wants to be your father. He actually wants to bring you in to his family. This is good news. This is beautiful news. Because what it means is you are accepted by God. You are not alone. You belong. You have a God that is fundamentally for you. You have a God that is absolutely for you. Not just that rescued you, but a God that says, I want you for myself. I want you to actually even, it says that he predestined us uh, he, he chose us to be holy and blameless. He predestines us to be in his family, to become like him. He's saying, I want you to have access to me in all that I am, to actually in your life become more and more like me. That's what happens with children as they're brought into a family. That is what God offers to you. That is what God gives to you. This is the first blessing, adoption. And then he says also that we are Redeemed. He says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, our sins, according to the riches of his grace that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. So he says we have adoption, and then he says we have Redemption. Redemption really is about freedom. It's about freedom that sin enslaves us. Sin enslaves us. When we sin, we are essentially slaves to the power of sin. We continue to sin. It has us in its grasp and the penalty of sin. Separation from God, death. And he says that through Jesus, through his blood, you have redemption or you have freedom. 
Because sin traps us in a cycle. I remember one time, have, I don't know if you've ever been to a timeshare presentation. You go to a timeshare presentation, they promise you, hey, we'll give you a free this or a free that as long as you first sit and be tortured for a little bit. And you're like, okay, I think I can handle some torture. Uh, and, and they give you this whole timeshare presentation. And then I remember seeing an ad once, a billboard in Florida. And it's, it was from a timeshare company, but it says, we will free you from your timeshare. But it was from a timeshare company. And it was like, they are the ones that enslaved you, and now they're trying to sell you a new service to buy you out of it. But that is really what sin is. Sin gives you these promises and enslaves you, and then says, well, we'll help you get out of this. You just have to do this. And then you do that, but now you're enslaved even more. And the deeper and the deeper that you get, sin traps you in cycles. Many of you have experienced this. You feel this. I can't get out. I'm like this, and I don't want to be like this. I think this way, and I don't want to think this way. I do these things, and I don't want to keep doing these things. Why do I keep doing the things I don't want to do? Why do I keep thinking these thoughts? Why do I keep feeling in this way? This isn't what I want to be like. Paul says that in him we have redemption, that through Jesus' cross you are freed, you are forgiven. And the power and the penalty of sin is broken. And one day, he will unite the whole world. He will bring everything together in Christ, things in heaven, things on earth. He will one day bring completion. He'll one day bring wholeness to all the things that are broken. But that right now, one of the blessings he gives to you is redemption, freedom, forgiveness. That you don't have to be defined by the things that you have done. You can be forgiven. You can be cleansed. You Listen, you are not your sin. You are not hopeless. You don't have to stay in the cycles and in the slavery of sin. You don't. And you don't have to earn your way out of the sin that you've done. He gives to you redemption. He frees. He forgives by his blood. That's the second blessing. Then the third blessing that he gives is this. He says, in him... We also have received an inheritance because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will so that we who had already put our hope in Christ might bring, might bring praise to his glory. So the third thing that he gives to us is we have received an inheritance, which means that blessings await you. It's not just what you have now. Blessings await you. I don't know if any of you have ever received an inheritance I have not. I don't know if you've ever kind of been given a big gift from a, a relative that passed, but that idea is that when, that there are, there's something in the future for you from somebody else, and that because of what Jesus has done for us, we have future blessings awaiting us. So listen, I hope your life is good here on earth. I do. I hope your life is good. I hope you're able to experience good coffee and good steaks and fun with friends and seeing mountains and doing fun activities and, and eating lots of donuts. I, I hope that for you. I really do. But this is not the end of your life. If you are a Christian, you have an inheritance that awaits you, that no matter what your life is like here, you have a future of blessing awaiting for you. And some of our lives, all of our lives will experience pain. Some of our lives will probably experience more pain than others. 
And that's okay. There is a future inheritance that God has for you that is waiting for you to have. And this life here is this compared to the eternity that we will have, experiencing all of the blessings that he has for us. Life here will vary, but your future is secure. That's the third blessing he gives to us, that you are adopted, that you are redeemed, that you have an inheritance. And then one final blessing that he talks about is this. It says, in him, you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. So he gives us this final word that you are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And let me, I'll I'll talk about sealed in a second, but he says that this happened when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. So you receive these blessings and you are sealed with the spirit. When? Not when you do really well, not when you have, after a couple years, really kind of committed your life to Jesus, not when you have finally gotten rid of all the pesky sins that have plagued you, not when you have earned up enough credit, not when you have finally followed Jesus to the best of your ability. You receive all of these blessings with a seal from the Holy Spirit when you hear the good news about Jesus. When you hear the gospel, the good, that's, that word means good news. When you hear the word of truth, the good news of your salvation, and you believe it. That's when you receive this. See, that's what Christianity is. And we'll talk about this more in the coming weeks. But Christianity is not about you need to do your best to follow Jesus, and then you might be able to get some of these blessings. You need to be a really good Christian, really love God, really love people, and then you might get some of this stuff. It is you hear the gospel of who Jesus is and what he's done for you of his salvation, of his adoption, of his redemption. You hear it, and you believe it. And in that moment, you are filled and sealed with the Holy Spirit. It is by faith that we receive this. It is his grace that we receive this. So he says, you are sealed. Now, what does this mean? Well, a seal keeps something secure. Right? If you have a seal, even if there's, there's all sorts of different ways we could talk about this. If you have a letter, and I, I have a wax uh, stamp that I use sometimes when I will send a letter, and it just is for decoration today. But in the old days, if you had a seal, it would go on there. It was, it was to protect what was in there. It was to know this is secure. It has not been messed with. It has not been tampered with. The contents of this letter are safe. They're protected. Uh, a, a little bit ago, when, we went... Uh, so. Let me back up. I like chips and salsa. I, that's it. Okay, next point. Um, I just always want to say that at least once a sermon, so maybe someday someone will give me chips and salsa. No. Uh, I, like, I love chips and salsa. And growing up, it was, always a, it was always a problem because it would be like, there's salsa in the house and no chips. Or there's chips in the house and no salsa. This is hashtag Puerto Rican problems, okay? So there's, and you can never have both of them at the same time. So when we got married, I was like, babe, we always need chips and salsa at the same time. So uh, I think it was like last week or two weeks ago, my wife went, she bought these great chips, 
great salsa. Came home, like, we're going to have nachos, me chips, me salsa. This is great. This is why I married you. My, my, our vows are being fulfilled. This is beautiful. Take off the top cap of the salsa. It's a plastic seal on it. Just completely loose. Not sealed. Now, what does that mean? It probably means some 17-year-old spit in it. And then put it back. <laughs> That's probably what it means. I don't know what it means, but I didn't eat that salsa. Because it wasn't sealed. It was not sealed. And what a seal does is protect the contents. What a seal does is say, this is secure for you. It is not going to be tampered with. It's not going to be messed with. All the benefits, all the glory, all the goodness of the salsa or the blessings or the benefits or the redemption or the adoption or the forgiveness or the inheritance, none of it is going to be messed with. There's a seal on it. And he says, all the things that God has promised to you, they are sealed. They're sealed. No one's going to mess with them. You can't mess with them. Satan can't mess with them. Your friends can't mess with them. The problems of the world around you can't mess with them. It is sealed. It is protected. It is secure. All that God has for you is secure. You will never be not forgiven. You will never be not adopted. You will never be unredeemed. You will never be uninherited. All that God has promised to you, all that he has given to you is sealed, protected, locked and loaded, good to go. It's yours. You have been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. He gave you the Holy Spirit, which is the down payment, a very similar idea that means it is yours now. No one can come and take it from you. If you pay a down payment on a house, you don't show up then to actually move in and they go, oh, sorry, we gave it to someone else. That's what the down payment is for. It's yours. It belongs to you and it is sealed. So listen, there's a lot in our life that is shakable, right? The market goes up and down. Relationships sometimes go up and down. Our health goes up and down. Salsa can get tampered with. There's a lot that is shakable and insecure. But he says, you have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. That's one of the blessings that God gives to you is that all that he says is yours, it's secure. It can't be messed with. It's guaranteed. So much can be taken away from you, but this will never be taken from you. So you are adopted. You are redeemed. You have an inheritance. You are sealed, which here's what this means. Do you ever think, I don't have enough. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough energy. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough friends. I don't have enough gifts. I don't have enough faith. I don't have enough whatever. Like, there's all sorts of different things that we could say, I don't have enough of. Do you ever compare yourself to other people and say, I don't have what they have. I wish I had the things that they have. I don't have enough, and they do. And do you ever live or feel or just kind of experience feeling like we're lacking, empty, needy, deficient, this says that that's not the case. This says you are full, that you have every spiritual blessing. That's what this says. You are not lacking. You are not empty. You are not deficient. You are not in a state of, I don't have enough, I don't have enough. He says you have every spiritual 
blessing. And if we don't believe this, what happens is then we start looking for blessing because that's what each of us hungers for and wants. And if we don't believe you have every spiritual blessing, we say, I got to go find it somewhere else. I need to be blessed. My time's not enough. My energy's not enough. My relationships aren't enough. My health's not enough. I need to get blessed, which might lead us to compromise. It might lead us to disobey God. It might lead us to not then follow into his vision of how he wants to build. And we go elsewhere to seek blessing because we forget or don't believe you have every spiritual blessing. That's what's true. You have the deepest and most profound blessings that could be ever given to anybody. You are blessed. And there may be some things, I'm not naive and I know you're not, there may be some things you don't have. Someone might have more money than you. Someone might have a better house than you. Someone might have better health than you. Someone might look better than you. Someone, I mean, that, that might be true. But you have every spiritual blessing, adopted, redeemed, inheritance, sealed from him, by him. And he begins here in this letter. He begins here so that any other instruction that he gives to us any other call to action, any other conviction, any other rebuke, any other encouragement, anything else. He begins here at the letter so that we know that all of God's intention and all of God's plan is all built around this. This is what his vision is for you, his blessing. So he's going to call us to things and he's going to challenge us in things and he's going to say things that might even make us go, oh, I don't know about that, but he's couching it all in. God's vision is to bless you. He's already done that. He will continue to do that. That's what he desires for you. So let's ask this question then. How do we get God's blessing? How do we get it? That's what God's hope is, his plan is, his intention is. That's what he's building in your life, how do we get God's blessing? And here's the thing. It's not just out there. You just got to go find God's blessings. They're out there somewhere. And it's not in here. Like, I get it because I'm deserving. I will get God's blessings because of who I am and what I've done. And as long as that's intact, then I will get God's blessings. It's also not just kind of some generic belief in God that, okay, I will get God's blessings if I believe in God. That's not how God's blessings come. He gives us this word at the very beginning, and then throughout. He says, every spiritual blessing is given to us in Christ. And then all the different blessings that we looked at, if you were kind of following along and paying attention, he introduces us to it by saying he chose us in him. In him, we have redemption. In him, we've received an inheritance. In him, you were sealed. All of the blessings that God gives to us are given to us in Christ, in Jesus. Now, that, that's weird language. We don't use that kind of language that much. But I, I was thinking about it, and I think it, it reminds me of years, years ago, my wife and I went to an all-inclusive resort uh, in the Dominican Republic. And, uh, you know, and there's all sorts of problems with this, of the disparities of wealth and poverty. But on the way to the resort, you're passing a lot of impoverished places. And then you get to the resort, and when you're in the resort, it's paradise. Forever ending, never ending chips and salsa. Never ending entertainment. 
Never, you can do archery, you can do volleyball, you can do scuba diving, you can do whatever. I mean, it's just never-ending techno music and everything. It's all there. You want a burger at 6 in the morning? Here you go. Here's a burger. You want a steak at 1 in the morning? Here's a steak. It's just never-ending gluts of pleasure, right? So, again, a lot of problems with that. But the, in that resort, there's all these blessings. Outside of the resort, there's problems. There's poverty. It's crime. When you're in the resort, it's not because of anything about us. It's not because of even the world that we were in, but in the resort, the resort had all these blessings. And because we were in the resort, we had access to all of these blessings. This is what we can compare being in Christ to. That the world around you might be chaos. The world inside of you might be chaos. And there's all sorts of problems with us and with the world. But in Christ, we receive redemption. In Christ, we receive adoption. It's not because of us. It's because of him and what he's done, which is why those things are secure. Because he doesn't change and he is perfect. And if you are in him, it, even if you change, those things do not change because he does not change. In Christ. That's how we receive the blessings, which means this, it won't happen. You will not be able to receive every spiritual blessing apart from initially coming to him if you're not a Christian and ongoingly coming to him if you are a Christian. If you want to receive all the blessings that God has for you, those are found in him. Sometimes as a Christian, you may become a Christian and then just kind of think, all right, now I'm self-reliant, just kind of need to live my life by myself, but all of the blessings that God wants to give to you are found as we continually access them from him. Once again, coming to him to receive forgiveness and be reminded of our inheritance and our security and our acceptance and our redemption and all these different things, they're found as we continue to come to him. So often we reject him or we try to secure blessings by ourselves, or, or our life gets just really busy or, or filled with stress and, and he is saying, in me, I want to bless you. Okay, that's fine, but I've got to do this and I've got to work on this and I've got this thing and there's kids and there's job and there's health and there's relationships. And, there's, and he's saying, in me, I want you to experience all of these things. That is what he offers to you. So you want blessing? This year, 2023, you feel a mood of progress in all the different things. You want, you want happiness or blessing in your health and your marriage and your family and your work and your emotions and your faith. You want blessing? He says all of this, every spiritual blessing is offered to you in him. You can have it. He gives it. The more that we rest and rely upon him. Last thing, why does God give us these blessings? Why? This is what God's heart is. This is what his intention is. This is what he wants to build in your life. Why? Why does he give these blessings? And he uses this phrase three different times. I'll just show you the beginning and the end. He says he does this to the praise of his glorious grace or to the praise of his glory. It's repeated throughout the different blessings. He says God does these things to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glorious grace. Grace, meaning God does these things so that it would lead us to see how amazing he is and to worship him. 
Now, that might feel kind of self-serving, like I'm, I'm giving you these things so you see how great I am. But for God, it is actually good and right, and for us, it's, it's living in reality. It is living in reality to see how good God is. If we live our life thinking God is non-existent or just apathetic towards us or not that great, we're actually not living in reality. We're living a lie. We're living in a false world if that's what we believe. And so when God does these things to the praise of his glory, it's actually bringing us into reality to say, here's what truth is. There is a good God that loves you. Here's what truth is. There's a glorious God. That's living in reality. And so all of these things that he does for us is actually so it would lead us to see, to have our eyes open to how good he is, so that we would live in reality, which means part, part of what this means is this is how you know if you are receiving and experiencing these blessings. Are you praising him? If not, it may be that you're trying to find blessings elsewhere. Are you living your life saying, man, God is so good. He is, his grace is so good. His kindness is so, so good. His patience is so good. He's amazing. He's glorious. I praise him. If that's not the response of your heart, which a lot of times we kind of get off track from that. If it's not, it's probably because we're not living under the fountain of his blessing because we're searching for it elsewhere. Or we've forgotten that that's who he is. We're not connecting in him. We're trying to get it on our own. We're living our life, and yeah, we believe in God, but we're really focused on this. So part of that is how you know. Am I living in his blessing? Am I connected to him? But it's also not just how we know. It also helps us to see, here's how you experience more of it. Because the more that we praise, which just means to reflect upon who he is and thank him and to and to acknowledge him, and to say, God, you are the good one. Thank you for that. God, you are gracious. It's to see these blessings and to acknowledge them. The more that you do that, the more that you experience and live in his blessing. So it can be a diagnostic, but it's also a prognostic to help us see the way forward. This is part of why Sundays, community groups, it's part of why Paul even writes the letter it's part of why all these things are important because it helps us to focus, to refocus once again on here's who God is. Here's his blessing. Here's what he wants. Here's the God that he is. Here's what he wants to build so that our heart is turned to him. We are all building a life, each of us. We're all building towards something. It might be haphazardly or it might be intentionally, but we are all building a life. We all want to experience greater and greater blessing and happiness. God has a vision for you. God has a vision to build your life, to bless you. That is what God's vision is. And I, I really want you to know this. More is possible. I don't care if you just became a Christian or if you've been a Christian for decades. More is possible. You can experience more of what God wants to do. And part of what we're hoping to do this year. This is why these books, if you, if you didn't grab one of these books, be sure to grab one. Part of what we are focusing on this year is I, the, the word this year that I am praying for our church is intentional. That we would intentionally step into the blessing that God has. That we would intentionally build God's vision for our life. 
And so this is just a stupid little notebook that is going to go to China. But <laughs> if we, and here's what I just want everybody to do, bring it with you every Sunday. Bring it to community group. There will be things in the newsletter. There will be things in a podcast that we're going to launch. There will be classes. There will be all sorts of things. There will be text messages, all built around this little book that has, it will have 12 different areas of just what your life, what God's vision for your life looks like. And asking you to just follow along, to do different actions, to pray different prayers, and say, I want to trust that God's vision is to bless me, and I want to be intentional about building my life towards what he has for me. And let's see what, let's see what happens. Let's see what happens together. Let's show China what the blessed life looks like. So we're going to take communion now. And when we take communion, we do this every week. If you're a Christian and you didn't grab a little cup on the way in, be sure to grab one of those cups. When we take communion, what we are remembering is such a beautiful truth. We're remembering that Jesus experienced the curse so that we could be blessed. That Jesus experienced the curse of sin, the curse of death, so that we could be blessed. He doesn't just give to us blessing. He actually says, I will be cursed so you can be blessed. That's grace. That's love. That's the God that you have. And, and because we can see, look at, how, look at the lengths that he went to to bless me. That helps us to trust him. That helps us to say, I want to bring my life to you. I want, if, if you would be cursed so that I could be blessed, I want to trust your vision of what building looks like. So as you take communion, remember that you have a God that was cursed so you could receive every spiritual blessing, so you could be adopted, so that you could be redeemed, so that you have a future inheritance waiting for you, and all of these things sealed by the Holy Spirit. Father, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your blessing. I thank you that you are a God that we can trust. Would you... Even as we pray and sing a few songs, take communion, Lord, would you just seal these things into our heart? Help us to know who you are, to trust you, and to begin this year with a reliance and a rest upon your blessing. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.